So you, you ever are there are there are there catchphrases that you you hear now and then that kind of stay with you? They just kind of weasel their way into your mind. I put a few on the screen. You know, the first one I remember growing up was the, that that one. You know, where's the beef? You remember that one? If you remember it and kind of chuckled when you heard it, it reveals your age. There are a number of others like, uh, you know, that one, uh, sorry, not sorry is real popular right now, which I can't stand these phrases. These are ones I hate. I don't like that one because the person saying it really means I'm in no way sorry. I have no apology, but I'm saying I'm sorry even though I know I'm not sorry, which they just said. And then there's this one, well, actually. You know, Jesus said, let your yes be yes, your no be no. You don't have to have anything behind it. And every time I hear someone say, well, actually, it usually means to me, everything you've said before is probably not true. And then the most political I'll get today is this one. We'll circle back around on that, which means one thing. Of all the things you're going to talk about, that's not what you're going to circle back around on, right? You're not going to say anything else about that. And then there's, you know, think outside the box. I've heard that one so many years. I What's wrong with thinking inside the box? The box is perfectly fine sometimes, okay? And then, then there's this one, the calm before the storm, which is one of the most pessimistic statements you'll ever hear. It, it pre-anticipates, if somebody's saying to you, things are good, just get ready, they're going to get bad, right? I mean, it's somebody the most negative attitude you ever hear. I, I, there are phrases, but the phrase that I think that I hate the very most came about not too very long ago. You know it, don't you? It's this one, the new normal. And you hate that phrase. I remember the first time I heard it, I thought, what, did, what in the world's up with that, the new normal? Would you agree with me that the last two and a half years or so have been some of the worst years that we have had to endure as people? Now, there are folks that have lived through a whole lot worse stuff than we lived through. But for us, this has been a really challenging time. I mean, we went through a, a global pandemic, and no sooner had that started than we went through one of the more severe racial times and tensions that we've seen in, in our world, in our culture, in a long, long time. And that was followed by just kind of a, 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 a domino effect of, you know, the, 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 the supply chains problem. And then, and then the people, the great walkout where people didn't work anymore. And then the mask or no mask issue. And then the vax or no vax issue. It seemed like there was one thing after another. And then in the middle of all that, we had one of the most caustic, political climates that we've ever seen where even in a church building there's a few words I could use and I could start a fight. I mean we were, we were ready to fight it seemed like about, about everything and then, then no sooner had that happened there was the aggression by Russia against Ukraine. I mean just one thing after another and, and I don't know if you're like I am but I, I began to wonder you know what's next? You know what's next? What's going to come next? What's the news going to bring tomorrow? And what I learned is that people were very frustrated with the state of things. That they were just fed up with it. They were done with it. They were ready for it all to be over. And, and, and what I noticed, and these were supposed to appear one after another on the screen, but apparently I didn't put the, the clicks in there, so you'll see them all at one time. But people are distracted. I mean, I don't know how long y'all were online, but do you remember when we went online about two and a half years ago, how how horrible that was. I mean, do you remember how, how long it took? It, 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 was, it was really, really weird because it didn't take too long. It didn't take too many weeks. And our teenagers began to realize at first, our young people started realizing at first, that we went from uh, watching our worship services to discussing our worship services like play-by-play -play commentators while it was going on. And then we began to realize we could multitask while the service was going on, you know. And, and it just, we were distracted. And then, then people were depressed. 
We, we are now are at a time when we have the highest levels of depression of any country in every age category of any civilized country in the world. And this is really not new. It really started back in about 1962, July of 62, when Madeleine O'Hare and, and, and her folks worked to get prayer removed officially. It's always been in school. It's still in school. But prayer removed officially from our schools. And, and from that time, it seems there's been a, a systematic decision by people to, to, to gradually move God out of each part of the culture. And, and, and man's going to worship something. And if man doesn't worship God, ultimately man's going to worship man. And we had humanism that began to become the norm for our world. And it doesn't take long. And I believe our young adults realized it early on that, that what happened in humanism doesn't work. Because humanism says you ought to do everything you do for the greater good of man. But if man is all there is, why shouldn't I scrape and claw? And why should I really care about you? Why should I care about my spouse? Why should I care about my children? Why should I care about anything except myself? I'm going to reach for everything I can get because when it's all over, this life is over. Whoever has the most toys does win, if that's all there is. And then people got disillusioned. I mean, you remember uh, December of 2019? Remember December of 2019? I remember it so well. There's churches all over as we talk to churches. We're talking about 2020 vision. You know, what's going to happen next? We got 20, they, they may not even express it though, but what's going to be, 2020 is going to be a great year. And now I walk around, I go around, I travel around, I visit churches, and all they talk about is, you know, we, we're trying to come back. We're trying to get back to where we were. And folks, I'll be honest with you, I'm sick and tired of that. The church isn't trying to get back. We've got to go forward. We've got to think about the future. What's going to be in the future? What are we going to do now? And then people got defensive. I mean, they'd fight about anything. They'd fight at the drop of a hat, and they'd supply the hat. And people became disconnected, disconnected from one another. I mean, the horrible disconnection. It's just, uh, you, I remember when all this started. It was... It was late March of 2020. You remember when the uh, NCAA and NBA kind of shut down culture? I mean, that's really how it started. And, and then everything shut down. The week before that, I had been in six states speaking in six different states. I had been in, in all over. And I I'd, I'd preached on Saturday before everything shut down. I'd preached the, the previous Sunday at Spring Meadows where I'd been preaching for years and years. We had 427 present. It was a great day. I remember it well. And then, then Saturday came and I preached in South Carolina to the Carolina Men's Fellowship. There were 300 men present. Sunday morning I preached in North Carolina, started a gospel meeting. Remember those some of those gospel meeting at a church in North Carolina? And I was on the treadmill Monday morning after preaching that Sunday, and an elder calls me from that church, and he said to me, he said, we're shutting the meeting down. Uh, I'd preached the previous Sunday at Spring Madness, 460-plus present, and then, or 420-plus present. Dan Winkler, our associate, had preached the next Sunday, and there had been 460-something present that Sunday. And then I went back the next Sunday, and there were 29 people present. <laughs> I told the elders, I don't know what Dan said, but if I'd said it, I think I'd gotten fired, okay? <laughs> and people are disconnected. I, 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 don't, I don't know about you, but this is nothing new. Jesus promised it, didn't he? In this world, you will have, the old King James says, tribulation. Most modern translations say problems or trouble. This life equals trouble. 
As long as you're breathing, there will be trouble in this world. And it will be for Christians and for everyone else. And the truth is that Satan can cause us to move into seclusion, but he cannot overcome the overcomers. And what you need to hear today is that Satan is sitting back. He knows what he can do, and he's, he's designing temptations just for you, things that will trigger you. He, he knows he takes every opportunity. He doesn't fight fair. And, and Peter says in a beautiful analogy, he's like a roaring lion. I, I went golfing with some of the folks here yesterday. We got up to the first hole, and there's a little island out there from the first tee, and there was a, a, a big plastic fake alligator there sitting on, and I, I said, that's really cute, you know, and Trace said, what? I said, that, that little plastic alligator, he said, that's not plastic, <laughs> and then things got real serious, you know, <laughs> well, Satan's real serious, he's like a roaring lion, he's not a plastic lion, he, he's tailor-making temptations just for your life, and, and he knows if he can get you focus on this, or this, or this, or that, you can fill in the blank, you know what those blanks are, that he will use those things to pull you away from the Lord. And there may even be good things to pull us away from the best things. The truth is, Satan cannot overcome the overcomers. I love Revelation chapter 12 and verse 11. They overcame him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of the testimony. And here's the part I love most about this text. And because they love not their lives to the death. They realized there was more to this life than this life. They didn't love this life so much. They were willing to die for Christ because they knew there was something better waiting for them. Paul writes for us to put on the whole armor of God that we may be to stand against the wiles, old King James says, schemes, some translation says. The, 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 uh, the message says the tricks of the devil. Be prepared. And one of his favorite schemes lately has been making little things seem bigger. Things in the past we didn't have time to get excited about and upset about seem now to crowd our schedules i don't know about you you probably never heard ann murray quoted in a sermon before <laughs> but some of you remember her old song and i could agree with her today i sure could use a little good news today are you listening listen very carefully all the good in the world all the good in the world comes from god if there's good in this world, it's from God and because of God. James wrote it this way, Every good gift, every perfect gift is from above and comes down for the Father of lights with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. Look at that little phrase, shadow due to change. I don't, I don't know about you, but in my life, there's shadow due to change. <clears throat> you know, I'm on the road driving and Somebody pulls out, you know, runs the traffic light too, too late or pulls out in front of me. There's shadow due to change in my life. I deal with a waiter or waitress that doesn't get my order right, and there's shadow due to change. Is it? They're changing. I, I, I didn't realize this about myself. When, when, when I, ha I have two sons. We have two sons. We have five grandkids. When, when our sons were little, when Philip and I were little, we had rules in our house. I mean, all sorts of rules, you know. You, you know, when you come in the house, you don't set your, back, your book bag in the foyer. If it's raining outside and muddy, you take your shoes off, you know. We had rules in our house. We have five grandkids now. There are no rules in our house anymore. <laughs> we had rules, you know. And I didn't know this. Maybe some of you have learned this about yourself. But I learned after my kids were grown a few years ago that they sometimes, when I get home in the evening, they, before they saw me, they go to Melanie and ask, 
what kind of mood is that in? <laughs> None of you had experienced that, did you? <laughs> shadow due to change. Are you thankful with God there is no shadow due to change? This tells me how different God is than I am. I had a nephew that used to pray, and he would always close his prayer by saying, God, have a good day. And if God has a bad day, we're all in trouble, aren't we? But you see, here's the great news today. Our mission, our mission is to spread all the good that's in the world. To Caruso it, to share it, to shout it, to promote it, to proclaim it. All the good that God put in the world, it's our job to share that news. In fact, his best message is simply that, good news. You know that, don't you, from Romans chapter 1? That is his message. It is good news. What if we determined to be the good news people? I've been preaching for about 45 years now. And uh, all my life until January of last year, I've been preaching every Sunday for a local church. I've been a located preacher. That's what they call us. You know, I've been preached for 10 years at Hamilton, 10 years at the Granny White Church in Nashville, 17 years at the Spring, 16 years at the Spring Meadows Congregation, uh, a local preacher. And I learned something. Every church I've ever been at, there were bad news people. You know what I mean? Bad news people. There were people that when I saw them coming, if I had done what I, I couldn't tell them this, but if I had done what I wanted to do, I would have turned and run the other way. I, I remember the Sunday so very well. It was a great day. We had over 500 people present. I was standing right over here where Tracy's sitting, right the row behind him. I was standing there. The singing had been beautiful. I'd walk down to the front to hear the song before I stood up to preach because the singing was so great. I was excited. I actually had a message I loved that day. I couldn't wait to preach that message. Every, there were a lot of people, there were a lot of guests there. It was such a great day. I couldn't wait to preach. And I looked down beside me, and there was this young lady. Her name is Cindy. Now, before I tell you about that story, I've got to explain a little bit about this because you don't understand. You don't know me. Um, I got all my technical skills from my father. I, I remember when we were growing up, one time, the, 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 sorry to tell this story, but the, 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 the float, that ball in the, 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 the commode, that, that float thing, it, it, it stopped working. It started holding water or something and so dad had to replace it well he went to the hardware store and got a new float and <coughs> excuse me he had some had some wire pliers and he, he tried to twist that thing off because it crowed a little bit from the acid in the water and everything and so he's trying to twist that thing off and, and the wire pliers well <laughs> hit the tank and the tank broke so another trip down the hardware store to get a new tank. He got the tank. We're going back to the house to, to put the tank on and to put the ball on. And so he, we're putting, he's setting the tank, and it slips, and he drops it, and it breaks the bowl. <laughs> so I need to tell you, I got all my technical skills like that from my dad, okay? So Cindy's standing there, and every time Cindy comes up, it's something bad. And I'm ready to preach. I'm excited. I can't wait to run up to the pulpit. And, and Cindy taps me on the shoulder and she says, Brother Dale? I said, yes, ma'am. She said, the commode in the ladies' bathroom is broken. <laughs> like, <laughs> really? <laughs> what if we decided to be the good news people? What if when people saw us coming as Christians, they said, gospel, 
good news is coming. Wouldn't that make everything better? Wouldn't that attract people? Listen, because the gospel is my life, it should mean good news to everybody in my life, not just to me. That bears repeating. Because the gospel is in my life, it should mean good news to everybody in my life, not just to me. So this morning, I'd like to lift your head and your heart and your spirit. If you've got a Bible, I'd invite you to open to the book of Romans. There's a great text over in Romans chapter 12. I call it the disposition of the Christian. It's Romans 12, verse 12. Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. If you're going to be a healthy Christian, you need to be positive and patient and prayerful. We don't have time today to unpack all of that, but we want to look today at this idea of hope, of being positive. How can Christians be joyful in hope? Why can Christians be hopeful? We can be hopeful, we can be positive, because we have hope. And the truth is, with all the negativity surrounding us, we need in our life the ministry of optimism. People, this world is hungry for hope. They're not hungry for a Pollyanna-ish hope. Let me remember Pollyanna. Remember her? Hallie? Hallie Berry? No, that's another actress. <laughs> yes. Haley Mills. Right, got it. Played this little girl, Pollyanna. The, the book was written in 1913. movie came out in 1960. It's, it's a neat movie. This girl is orphaned, and she moves to this, these, is sent off to live with these relatives that aren't very nice, and the town is dirty and nasty, and everybody, and it's mean to each other, and it's just a miserable, horrible, very bad place. Everything about it's bad. But she goes around just spreading pixie dust everywhere she goes, just happy all the time. And somebody goes up to her and asks her one time, how in the world are you so happy when everything around you is so bad? And she said, I just made a decision to be happy. That doesn't work. It works for a little while. But it doesn't work when the just being happy to be happy when the doctor comes in and says, it's cancer and she's terminal. You're going to lose her. It doesn't work when the boss comes in and says, you know, you've given us 40 good years, but we need to go with somebody younger and you're not ready to retire. It doesn't work when your child says, I no longer believe in God. Just being happy to be happy doesn't work that way. There's got to be something more than that. What I want to do today is for a few minutes to take your mind off of all the negativity that might be in your heart and your mind and your world, just for a few minutes. And I want to lift up your head and I want us to look at all the good that's in the world because remember, it is from God if it is good. Romans chapter 8. I had you at Romans 12. Turn back a page in your Bible to Romans chapter 8. I think Romans 8 is the greatest chapter in all the Bible. It begins with no condemnation, ends with no separation. And in the middle of it, there are seven reminders of why Christians ought to be the most positive people, most optimistic people in all the world. Concrete reasons, real reasons, not Pollyanna, pie in the sky, but these are reasons in the midst of a world that's full of negativity and joylessness. I think that's not really a word, but you know what I mean. That's full of that. Reasons for us to be really joyful. Ready for them? Let's get through them. Number one. That was the introduction for those that keep time, and it's 10.29. I've got one minute left and seven points. 
going to work in it, Tracy. Number one, there is therefore, he says in verse one, no condemnation to those who are in Christ. <laughs> are you listening carefully? Your coach may criticize you. Your parents may condemn you. Your boss may calculate against you. Culture may cancel you. But if you're in Christ, he will not condemn you. In Christ. There are three places in the Bible where it tells us how to get into Christ. Every time it says the way into Christ is through baptism. That is that act that finally puts us with him. In Christ, there's no condemnation. Listen, you're not going to be condemned as a Christian. And you know what that means? That means the guilt that you harbor in your heart doesn't need to be there. That you can let it go. That Christ has forgiven you. You don't have to carry it with anymore. Number two, he says to us in verse two, through Christ, the law of the Spirit set us free from the law of sin and death. Now there's a reason to be joyful and hopeful in the midst of a world that's not very hopeful, that's not very joyful. There's no conduct, or excuse me, the law of the Spirit has set me free from the law of sin. And you know what the law of sin and death is? It goes all the way back to Genesis chapter 3. We sin, we die. In Christ, I'm set free from that law. I sometime, someday I will transfer from this life to the next, from this miserable place to be, with a perfect, be at a perfect place, from this godless place to be with a God who loves me. That's beautiful, isn't it? I'm set free from the law of sin and death. The, the disciples thought Jesus was a little daft. I, I don't know that for sure, but, but Jesus had good friends. Mary, Martha, Lazarus lived in the town of Bethany, apparently fairly wealthy people, owned their own house. Word comes, Lazarus is sick. Jesus doesn't do anything. Then Lazarus dies, and Jesus says to the disciples, let's go and see Lazarus. And they say, what's your problem? Lord, he's dead. Jesus wasn't dumb. I, what I suppose is happening there is Jesus sees such a thin line between this life and the next life. It's just asleep to him. And that loved one that you laid to rest, to him, they're with him if they're his people. And you don't have to worry about it. Isn't that marvelous? I'm set free. I'm set free from the law of sin and death. What I've learned is we don't like to talk about death. But what I've learned is the death rate in America, you know what it's at? A hundred percent. Right? Everybody you know is going to die. But for the Christian, we're set free from that law that when we die, we're really dead. We're really alive when we die. Number three, he says in verse 26, and for those of you who like to count, I want you to notice something real careful. I'll be real quick about it. We jump from verse 2 to verse 26, which means there are about 24 more points in this sermon for someday, but I don't have time for them today. Number three, he says in verse 26, in this same way, the Spirit helps us in our weaknesses. He's talking about our prayer life there. You ever not know what to pray? He called it 2 a.m. He and his wife had twins. They found them dead in their bed. Will you come and pray with us? What do you pray? My son lost a baby. What do you say? What do you pray? Those are kind of heavy. Let me give you one that's not quite as heavy, okay? When 
Wednesday night, a couple at church asked to meet with the elders. I was meeting with the elders that night as well. They asked me to stay in the room when they came in. They said, we have a problem. Okay. Now, just to prepare you, the next sentence I'm going to use, you don't see coming, okay? They said, our house is haunted. <laughs> okay. They want you to come over and pray for us. They want you to come help us. So, they said, we want the elders to come pray for us. So the elders decided that Tom Campbell and myself would go to their house and pray with them. I was not an elder. They asked for the elders. That's one time I want to object and say, nope, that's not me, but I, I didn't. I went with them. Tom's the smartest man I think I know on the earth. Every, every, he always knows the right thing to say. He always says it well. He's, he's, he's extremely intelligent, and he's very gifted in communication. We walk in the house. The couple welcomes us. We go into their den. We sit down, and Tom says, tell us what's going on, and they explain what they think is happening in the house, and Tom says some really smart things, and, and I'm sitting there nodding. Yeah, that makes sense, you know. Yeah, good, good. He says, tell me more. They, they say, well, go out here in the, 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 uh, the, the, the foyer of the house. And they say, every once in a while we'll be here, we'll hear creaks in the house. The house is 100 years old. I want to say, now what you need to know is there are two of me. There's, there's two personalities living in me. There's Dell Jenkins and there's another guy named Dell Jerkins. And Dell Jerkins wanted to say it's a 100-year-old house. Of course it's creaking, but Tom said some really smart, wise things. And I sat there and nodded. Very good. Thank you, Tom. And then we, we walked into the hallway, this long hallway, and they said, sometimes we'll be out in this hallway, and suddenly there'll be a cold blast of air that will come down the hallway. And Dell Jerkins wanted to say, there's a return vent right over there. You know, that's what's going on, you know. And, but Tom said, you know, well, that's very interesting, and I wonder what that is, how it's manifesting. And went on, and, and then... Then we'll walk back in the back bedroom. This is where the, the spirit supposedly lived. It was their grandmother who had died in that room. And they said every once in a while, the door will just kind of creak open and, and close. And every once in a while, the rocker will move. And, and, and Dale Jerkins wanted to say, well, you know, it's a 100-year-old house. Those things happen. But I'm ready for Tom. I've not said a word. I'm very quiet. Tom's a wise one. I'm just alone for the ride. And Tom looked at me and he said, Dale, lead us in a prayer. You ever not know what to pray? That was my first exorcism. <laughs> he says, in this same way, when you don't know what to pray, the Spirit's there with us. Sometimes we don't know what to pray. Number four, he says, we know that all things work for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. One of the most misused verses in the Bible, that verse does not say that everything that happens to the Christian is good. It says, as long as you live within God's purpose, God can take even the bad in your life and use it for his glory. So my brother buried his wife three years and four months ago. And he said to me, I can sit in my house and get old and fat and miserable and unhappy. Or I can get busy and really start serving people. And he wrote a book on grief and how to deal with grief and loss. It was one of the books we published through the valley, through the valley of the shadow. And now he goes all over the country, and sometimes I do, like right now, and say, if you'd like a copy of that book, write your address down and hand it to me before we leave, and we'll send you a copy of the book. So instead of taking his grief and being miserable, he took it and used it for God's glory. My son lost that baby, and he was miserable. He was unhappy. He was not himself. And for several weeks, we'd talk, and he'd be, he'd be horrible. And then one day, he called me, and he said, Dad, I think I'm getting better. I said, what happened? He said, I'm going to be dealing with young people the rest of my life. 
some of them are going to grow up and they're going to lose babies. And he said, we can be angry and mean and mad at God and everybody else, or I can use this to help them grow. I don't know you today. I don't know what's happened in your life. But as the old preacher in Texas says, there's a hurting in every pew. Something has happened in your life that's hurt you. And my question is, are you using it to allow you to be angry and miserable and bitter and blame everybody in your life for what's happened? Or are you using it to the glory of God to help other people who will experience the same things that you've experienced? 2 Corinthians chapter 1 talks about how he helps us with our grief so that we can help those who are grieving. He helps us with our hurt so we can hurt those, help those who are hurting. Number five, verse 31 says, If God is for us, who can be against us? And the old preacher used to say, God plus one always equals a majority. And I want you to hear this today. God is for you. Number six says, He who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, how will he not also along with us graciously, along with him, graciously give us all things? A little bit of a tongue twist reverse that basically says, if God loved you enough to take care of the biggest problem in your life, the problem of sin, don't you think he loves you enough to take care of all the other little things along the way? And finally, number seven, that beautiful verse, I'm convinced neither death nor life, angels or demons, things present or things to come, any powers, any height, any death, or anything of all creation shall be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. Isn't that marvelous? In a world that's painful and difficult we can be joyful and hopeful because nothing can take us from god no person no power no entity no ruler no issue except our own decision to be away from god are listening today my hope for you is that you will find all the good in the world Let's pray. Thank you, Father, for loving us. Thank you for the joy we find in you. May we share it and spread it with others. May we be the good news people in this world. It's because of Jesus. In his name, amen.